welcome to the Game 3 Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building. We're here to jump in to some things that prospects need to hope for, need to work on going into the new year. It's New Year's resolutions for 2023 NBA draft prospects. We're going to dive in to 10 players at the top of the 2023 NBA draft board and discuss what their resolutions should be in terms of working on their games going forward. This is not a negative. This is, these are just things that, you know, need work. Every player that's 18 to 19 years old needs work at the end of the day in order to make it at the highest level in the NBA. And this is what they should be focusing on. Spins, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Sam. Always good to be here. Good to be back. Uh, You know, this is a a fun idea here of, of an episode because I think, Diving into improvement areas for guys is always really important. And if you can frame a conversation like that early enough in the draft cycle, now we have time to see if they catch on to some of these areas before they're done playing this year. And and just that helps everybody involved get a better feel for what their ceiling and their trajectory is going to be. I think that's dead right. So there's no better way to do so than to jump right in. Let's start at number one with a guy that, frankly, we haven't talked about in a while yeah, on this show because he's just so good that, like, I don't feel the need to talk about Victor Wembanyama. Victor Wembanyama right now is leading the French League in scoring, rebounding, and blocks. Uh, he's shooting over 50% from the field. This is, this is like, the best prospect since LeBron, basically, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, he's the best prospect I've ever evaluated professionally, and, like, we're closing in on... 10 years, not quite there yet, but I think we're on like nine drafts that I've done, eight or nine drafts that I've done professionally. And he's the best one that I've seen so far. So it's not the easiest thing in the world to point out for Victor Wembanyama. But Adam, if you had to pick one thing, what is Victor Wembanyama's improvement area that you feel like he could kind of focus in on pre-draft and look to improve upon? I'm not going to be the cynic that goes out here and says like avoiding injuries and wrapping himself in bubble wrap until June and making sure that he doesn't do anything to cost himself that top pick. I think this is more. That's not who he is though. Like he's, he's not that guy. Like he's not going to wrap himself in bubble wrap. (laughs) And and I I like that about him. That's appealing to me. And, And I don't think we should frame this conversation about what can they do to cling on to this high of a draft stock. It's more about what, long-term solutions can they add to their game to just make them as good of an NBA player and potential, you know, pro as as possible. So for Vic, the biggest improvement area for me is I want to see him continue to explore the space of one-on-one creation. I just want to see more. I want to see if this really strange, like one footed floater from three is something that he can actually have in his back. I want to see how much isolation creation he does against so many different types of defenders. Like we've seen some highlights. We've seen some absurd plays that he's already made so far this year. Uh, I I trust that his defensive navigation, just because of his length, his timing, his shot blocking, some switchability that he has is going to remain strong and and be utilized in a lot of different ways in the NBA. But I want to know just through volume more than anything else. Is there a type of defensive coverage style, particular one-on-one defender that he would struggle with? And the the easiest way to narrow that out is to just keep playing, play against a lot of different teams, and continue to be a number one option that uses his offensive skill in a variety of ways. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because he's already such a marginal advantage as a center in terms of like handle, creation, pull-up shooting, everything that goes into that, right? So I didn't really pick anything in terms of creativity, although long-term that is probably like the thing that as he continues to grow and mature and build upon, like that's going to make him go from like, you know, potential all-star to all-NBA player to top five player in the league to potentially the best player in the world, right? Like continuing to add to that is undeniably something he has to do. I think his resolution, honestly, for me, is just a little bit simpler. Like, I would like to see him become a better shooter off the catch. 
I'd like to see him get into rhythm better. Yeah. I'd like to see him get his footwork down. Like he has potential to be an unstoppable weapon as a tra- transition trailer three-point shooter. And, you know, I haven't seen a ton of that yet. Like if you look at his numbers this year, I'm pulling them up on Synergy right now. Like he's taking 59 jumpers off the dribble, 54 jumpers off of the catch. He's actually made 38.5% of those jumpers off the dribble and only 35.2 off the catch. He's actually a little bit worse off the catch right now. If you look at it in terms of like points per possession rank among all international players right now, 46th percentile off the catch, 87th percentile off the dribble. I think his shot just looks a little bit better when he's pulling up off the bounce. I think that he gets his lower half a little bit more engaged. I think it's something that undeniably will improve, but this is just like a small fix that like, I think that he could make pre-draft. He could make during the season potentially and get more in rhythm as a scorer, get more in rhythm as a catch and shoot player. And like he could end up averaging two more points per game just by doing this. Right. So just like a small fix. Like I think that he has such potential to be such a high leverage weapon in those settings that fixing that I think would actually be very, very good. Not to say he's bad at it right now, but like if he could take it to another level, even I think he could be even more of a problem for defenses. Well, we've seen where the ceiling is with his catch and shoot ability in some of those games against the G League Ignite all the way back in October, where he was drilling shots like that one transition one that he had where he just ran down the court, ended up catching it and going into the corner there. Like his body control as a fluid shooter is ridiculous. So whether it's movement off screens, pick and pop actions where he's got to clearly be able to, to catch and shoot in those areas, I think that's a really fair ask of him over the next several months. Yeah, and like for what it's worth on his pick and pop, no dribble jumpers, like he's made 45% of his no of his pick and pops, right? Like he's been very, very good in that respect. So I, I think it's almost for me more like the trailer stuff, more the spot up stuff, like getting into rhythm that way uh, to be able to play five out. Like that's the thing that he really has potential to bring, the ability to like go play five out offense, purely five out offense because he's so good with the ball in his hands because he's so good as a shooter. That would be an enormous marginal advantage for any team he plays for. So just small stuff, clean up the footwork off the bounce, get your lower half a little bit more involved. Just, you know, get that rhythm down just at a slightly better level. But anything you say with Vic, you're picking on the margins at the end of the day at this point. He's so fucking good. Oh my God. (laughs) New Year's resolution for the number two prospect on our draft board. Scoot Henderson, what is your New Year's resolution for Scoot Henderson? Yeah, this has been actually a a tough one for me because I think part of what makes Scoot so intriguing as a prospect is how already well-rounded he is, especially on the offensive end of the floor with his score and pass balance, with the additions to his game from consistency from three this year that he's shown. Uh, you know, I, I think if I had to pick one thing, it's going to be defensive versatility, Sam. Yeah. That what I want to see from Scoot Henderson is the ability to be a, he's not a super small point guard. He plays bigger because he's decently strong and he's athletic, but the ability to not hamstring any team that drafts him into a certain type of defensive coverage or strategy where he has to stay with his man. He's not switchable. He's got to guard the smaller, quicker guys on the perimeter. I want to see how he fares against strength. And, and that's where playing G League is really going to help him some. Uh, but I, I hope that he adds a little bit more on the defensive end of the floor to be versatile enough where he's not hamstrung by one scheme. Yeah, I think that that's a good call. Uh, he needs to just be a little bit more versatile to where he can hold up against guys that are six, six, like he's going to struggle with Luca. He's going to struggle with X, Y, and Z because like the point of these resolutions is not, Hey, Scoot Henderson grow to be six foot six. Right. Like it's, you know, within reason, what are the improvement areas here? And the ability to just like hold his ground more in switches. He's already pretty physically strong. I think that ability will be very helpful. Again, like this is like a thing where I'm I I, with Scoot. The thing that has been impressive with me is the way that he has shown growth 
in terms of yes. the areas that we yes. wanted to see him show growth in this season. Yep. He's gotten better as a pull-up shooter. He's gotten better in terms of decision-making. He's gotten better in terms of like driving with a plan and a purpose, right? I think that the thing for me is I just want to see him fire if he gets covered with drop coverage, right? If he gets a drop coverage defender who is not coming up at the level on him as a shooter, I want to see him fire from three at the end of the day. I think he can do it. I think the thing that's always been kind of underrated with Scoot is that ability to be able to fire from the mid-range. He's a very comfortable mid-range pull-up shooter, regardless of what the numbers say. Like in terms of his overall shooting percentages, he's very good shooting from the mid-range. I think he has a lot of potential to shoot from three. He's shown it this year. I think he's shooting over 40% from three right now on very limited volume. I would love to see him up that volume because I think he can be a legit, a team plays drop coverage. He just goes around a ball screen and fires. I think he can knock those shots down. And I think, again, much as we've seen with John Morant, it just opens up your game entirely if teams have to at least like consider that you might turn and fire once you get around that ball screen, or if you might just step behind the ball screen and shoot. Well, it just unlocks the best parts of his game and his attributes, which are his athleticism and his decision-making on the move. And and those are two things where if you force defenses to come out to you a little bit more, if you're going over the top of screens instead of going underneath them, even if they're set a foot or two above the three-point line, defenders still have to go over the top of those. Now you've got a ton of room and space to play with where you've got a defender on your back. You're playing five on four and making excellent reads. You can get to the basket and finish. You have space if they're playing you in drop coverage and continue to take those elbow jumpers that he loves so much. It just would open up everything for him. And and we've seen a lot of growth. want to give Scoot a lot of credit there. He's been very good so far this year. But it's about volume and continuing to see it on a consistent basis. Yeah, if he does that, like – he is a legit like all-star maybe by the end of his rookie contract. Like he's he's very good. He is awesome. Now we're going to get into guys that are awesome, but we have more questions about. Yeah. Do we want to take the Thompson Twins together? I think that because that's I, fair. I think we can do I that. would imagine we're going to have the same answer for the Thompson Twins, right? <laughs> we are. They both need to shoot it. Like, that's what it comes down to for them. Like, literally, like, any scout I talk to is just like, can they shoot? Okay, great. Do you think they can shoot? Okay, great. Or, or like, no, that sucks. Like, it, it's 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 all anyone talks about among the scouting communities. Can the Thompson Twins shoot? I would like to see more growth in terms of the shooting. What do you see specifically that you think they need to work on in terms of shooting? So for a men, this is going to be and they're, very, they're they're in different places. I'm they, sorry, Adam. They're yeah. in different places as yeah. shooters as well. Neither of them are what I would call high level shooters to the point where like I trust it. But Asor is a better shooter right better. now than a man. He is, yeah. and I think that this is my answer is going to be a little bit more about the role projection that I would see for each of them in the NBA, where we've talked extensively on this podcast, Sam, about how I think Amen is a little bit more of a primary at the NBA yep. level, just with his first step. His, he's just a little bit better of an athlete, and I think a little bit better of a live dribble passer, whereas Asor has shown those connective tissue type of reads and, and real preemptive playmaking. Uh, yep. with, with Amen, I think that the shooting needs to be more locationally based in the middle third of the floor. That when you're playing with the ball in your hands, Obviously, pull-up shooting is going to be important in that regard. But if you're off ball, you're probably more in the slots and in that middle third of the floor where you can catch it, get downhill into the lane really quickly, maybe come off of a second-side ball screen or handoff. Playing in those areas is where he should focus a lot more on getting those shots up and being a floor spacer in the moments when he doesn't have the ball. For a sore I think that he needs to work on the corner jumper a little bit more and being a guy that we've seen smart cutting for him from the wing. Whenever he can 45 cut and backdoor somebody, he does it. And he's incredibly, incredibly smart at doing that. I think he crashes the offensive glass incredibly well for an off-ball player. But I want to see somebody who can provide some value as a corner three-point shooter. 
Because if you can do that and you're not ignored out in that area and you just have one area that you can be stuck in while it's somebody else's turn to make a play, it makes it really hard to take you off the floor. Yeah, I like all of that. Like, I think with a man, just like even mechanically, a man needs to like almost like work on his base a little bit more, it feels like. Uh, a lot of time he just feels like a little bit like off balance, right? Like, it, it just feels like off every he, time. Like, the rhythm feels off. Like, yeah. the whole thing feels off. He doesn't seem like he lands in the same spot consistently. Sometimes it's straight yeah. up, sometimes it's forward. Like, he doesn't stop his momentum if there's ever a slight, like, lateral slide on the catch he's got to really work on the consistency of where he lands not just where he takes off from and for him yeah you'd love to see him shoot threes right but like if he can even get down like a 17 footer like the john wall thing right like if practice like those elbow jumpers where like it's okay i'm stopping my feet are under me no nobody's gonna be able to stop that shot like he's so fast, he's so quick coming off screens, he covers ground so quickly. Like even just a 17 footer would be so lethal for him. Like th- he is that good athletically that that is going to be where he can really really cause problems. With a sore, it's almost more like I'd like to see him shoot them off the hop a little bit more. I'd like to see him shoot them like Cause like right now it seems like his shot is a bit robotic and mechanical and it still is like even, I think he's made improvements in that respect. He has a good follow through. He, I think it's a pretty clean release of the ball, which is why he's shooting better this year, which is big. Like he, he is the one that really needed to shoot. I remember we talked earlier in the season, we were both kind of worried about it based on the start of his year and some of the, um, international games that overtime elite played i'm no longer quite as worried about it is what i was he he has made genuine real improvements now he just needs to be able to knock them down quicker uh in the run of play like even like someone like jabari smith this year i think has struggled with the speed of the game like having to shoot shots off the hop as opposed to like one two stepping in right Sore takes a lot of those like one, two step, like shot, like steps into his three point shot. And that time just like evaporates at the NBA level. Um, It's the load into the shot for me with a sore as much as it is like the shooting. I think he has like a pretty good arc on the ball. I think he has pretty good rotation on the ball. Like the follow through is pretty strong. It's, loading into the shot in a more effective manner, I think that will allow him to play off the ball more and then take advantage of the 45 cutting, take advantage right. of crashing the offensive glass, take advantage of everything you can do as a second side creator. Cause he is a really good passer as well. Mm-hmm. He is. I think that's spot on there. Sam. the last thing I'll say in regards to shooting development. And when I look at guys who struggle in that regard, a really wise coach and mentor of mine once told me, that if you want to judge a shooter, don't just judge them by their their makes, judge them by their misses. And I think yeah. for, for both of these guys, what I would want to see to feel more comfortable with the shot is the elimination of a lot of bad misses, those clankers off the backboard, those ones where their their form and their touches is really, really off. Like It's one thing for their numbers to continue to climb and say, okay, that's positive growth. That's them continuing yeah. to get better, focus on some of the mechanics. But even if the mechanical tweaks happen and there are still those, you know, one, every other game, there's just a bad miss that doesn't even draw iron. I'm still going to be really concerned. Yeah, it feels like a sore is more distance based to me. And it feels like a men is like all over the map He's in everywhere. terms of where yeah. his misses are. Yep. Um, a sore, I think that the distance misses are like he has some bad distance misses as well. But like, I think that they're fixable. Whereas a man, like, it's kind of all over the map. And I'm a little bit worried about that. But he's so athletic and so twitchy and so good as a ball handler, passer, playmaker. It's a reason I have number three right now on my board still. Like, he, he is such a playmaker, such a dangerous player with the ball in his hands that he is incredible. Asor is also a very real high-level athlete based on NBA standards. It's just that he needs now to 
clean up the shooting to an even greater degree than what he has at this point. I love them both. They're both phenomenal, like workers, great, intelligent human beings, but there's some things to work on. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be back with prospects five through 10, not really five through 10, but the next six prospects. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough Uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, Adam, we're back. You played this guy in high school. Oh boy. With your team. You've seen Cam Whitmore up close. Shout out Boys Latin. Adam, the coach of the Boys Latin. What what are your what are your mascots? We are, we are the Lakers, baby. The Lakers. There we go. The Boys Latin Lakers. They played Cam Whitmore last year. Did not go well for the Boys Latin Lakers, from what I gather. No. Uh no. <laughs> no. No, it did not. Did not. <laughs> uh Cam Whitmore, where where do you think his New Year's resolution should lie. So there are a lot of small things with Whitmore. Uh, and, and this is a guy who I think taking the view of where he's been over the last several years, what he's continued to already improve at is important for framing the conversation for what he needs to still get better doing. Um, we've seen a ton of growth from him as a jump shooter over the last 18 months to the point yep. where he was really, really good this summer playing for uh, USA in the what was it the Pan America Games or the World Cup that, the, that they were playing the U18 team. Um, fantastic start to the year in terms of what he's shown, speeding up his shot a little bit more. Uh, one thing that we talked about on the podcast has really stood out to me, Sam. Quick decision-making from Whitmore. That yep. He is such an explosive athlete, and he played – as this one-on-one creator in high school and is starting to do so a little bit more at Villanova, a team that's in desperate need of offensive production, that he is a catch, hold, survey, and then go player. And he's too athletically gifted, too strong, too bursty, and 
should be able to live in the lane off of quick rips and kind of run through attacks if he's starting above the three-point line, that I really want to see him just get better at quickly getting into the lane and making a decision as a scorer or a passer. I think that unlocks so much of his game and is going to give him even more space and time to become a consistent three-point shooter at the next level. I think that the decision-making and processing based off of the tape that we've seen so far is probably right. Uh, From what I've seen, he is very good at being able to beat his man and physically just like get into the paint. Like sometimes it's with power. Sometimes it's with like actual shiftiness as a ball handler. I think his shiftiness getting into his pull-up jumper is particularly like quite high level. Uh, I would like to see more like passing playmaking uh, ability to be able to make plays for his teammates. Like right now, Cam Whitmore has a 6% assist rate at Villanova. He has, uh, it looks like in four games, two assists. And he, in three of those games had zero assists. He was absolutely phenomenal against Penn. He was absolutely phenomenal against Boston college. Uh, Didn't quite play as much against St. Joe's. And obviously this podcast is coming out. Uh, they'll have played, I believe, one more game against St. John's by the time this comes out. But what I see from Cam Whitmore is I just need I need a little bit more processing and a little bit more playmaking and willingness to make kickouts once he collapses the defense. I think that... He, he knows that he can put pressure on the basket whenever he wants. Being able to look out away from the basket is going to be a critical thing for him moving forward. Yep, totally agree. And I think part of the reason, like our two critiques for him are very hand-in-hand in, hand in a lot of regards. Yeah. Part of the reason I think it's harder for him to find those avenues as a passer is because he catches holds and surveys and defenses kind of get set and can load up to him in some regard that they're positionally sound enough because he allows them time to get there that it's not always evident where the open team is going to be. If he's attacking quicker off the catch, if he's finding ways to get in the lane where defenders already out of position, then it becomes easier both as an evaluation tool for us and for him in theory to be able to recognize where that open teammate's going to be. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. Next up, let's go Anthony Black at Arkansas. This is, again, one where we will have a similar response, but uh, I will give you the floor, Adam. What is Anthony Black's New Year's resolution? I think it's to smoothen out the jump shot a little bit more. Uh, You know, it's, it's something that has plagued him a little bit back to high school, like the form, the mechanics don't look great. And I think that there are times when he's very aware that he should be putting his head down and getting to the rim a little bit more and not taking those jumpers. Variety in the diet is going to be really important for him. He's shown some touch, some games where he can get pretty hot from three, but the mechanics aren't pristine at this point in time. And when you look at his absurd free throw rate, how much contact he's drawing, his ability to just finish at the basket, how great he is at making plays for others, this is the missing piece to his game. Uh, there are a lot of guys who are a jump shot away from drastically changing their draft stock. I don't think enough people out there realize how if Anthony Black were a 36, 37, 38% three-point shooter on high volume with clean, dependable mechanics, this is a guy who would be in the mix to go in the top four or five. Like He's been that impactful, solid, well-rounded everywhere else. This is the missing piece for him. Yeah, I mean, look, I have him at five right now without the jump shot. <laughs> so there you go. I'm in. There you go. But part of that is that I think that the jumper has looked better. I think yeah. that the touch is real. Like, here's here's a question that I would have for you. He has a bit of a funky like load in. It's like yeah. kind of like has like the arm like a little bit crooked. It, it's it's a strange load up, and he has a bit of a strange release. Would you do anything to like try and adjust that with him? Like, he has again, he has real touch. It's just like it feels hard for him to load into the shot regularly. Yeah, I I think that 
not just loading into it, but you'd mentioned earlier the need for quicker releases when you get to the NBA. And I think that yeah. his is, is slow enough with the form that he has that he's going to have to make a tweak. Um, I can't necessarily identify right now exactly what that tweak is or should be, but I, I don't think that the form as it currently exists is going to hold up well enough in the NBA when you know longer guys are closing out to you on the perimeter when you just simply don't have as much time to get into your shot. Gotta stop saying tweak. It reminds me of that like ridiculous John Calipari like thing. Do you remember when the Harrison twins were there? Like he, he like kept going on about the tweak. I don't remember. <laughs> that, like, no. Yeah, John Calipari. Uh oh Coach oh, Cal. John. Oh, yeah. yeah. He made he made the tweak. Uh small, which was small adjustment. How about that? Yeah, it was like moving um what was it? it was like to move Andrew Harrison like toward like just playing the lead guard role if I remember correctly like as opposed to trying to score all the time and that's how they made the final four that's how they did it Adam not because the players were great I, I'm I'm not taking shots at Cal I actually quite <laughs> like Cal yeah um This week was always ridiculous, though. But with Anthony Black, Anthony Black, I think that the critical thing is just being able to make shots off the catch. And he's done that this year. Like looking at the numbers here on Synergy, uh, 47.4% of his shots uh, off the catch. He has made those shots. Now, the thing is that he's only taking two of them per game, right? Two of them per game is not quite good enough for what he's going to have to do. But... I think that there is enough there in terms of touch and you see it in the free throw percentage. He has made his free throws. I think at like 75% so far this year, 76, something in that ballpark. He, I think has potential to shoot. I almost would be willing to like mess with his mechanics a little bit, but like he's so effective that I don't, I don't know. Like he's been such a good athlete driving to the rim and like so confident that I wouldn't want to fuck with the confidence either. But yeah, I mean, just needs, maybe he just has to get comfortable with his mechanics and just make them like the most repeatable thing in the world. But his mechanics, I think are going to make it hard for him to shoot from like certain places on the court even. Right. So like, yeah, I don't know. Weird, weird situation. Anthony Black, though, the New Year's resolution is just continue to get more comfortable with your shot, continue to hopefully knock down open threes when you get them. And now that he's playing with Nick Smith, he's going to play a little bit more off the ball, which means we might get to see more of his catch-and-shoot opportunities. He just needs to get his feet up under him constantly, have an effective way to knock down shots. Uh, That's it for Anthony Black, I think. That's it. Speaking of Nick Smith, let's go to Nick Smith. Sure. What is your New Year's resolution for the six foot five Arkansas combo guard Nick Smith? Uh, this one's a little bit different from me. It's not going to focus on skill as much as it is adding a little bit of muscle to his frame. I think that's going to be a big deal for him getting to the NBA. Uh, I love the flexibility. I love the craftiness of his game, but the value in Nick Smith a lot of the time comes in his off-ball offense, yeah. and I think. If you're going to be a good off-ball player or a versatile off-ball piece, it comes in two different areas. Playing next to a bigger wing and front-court creator, which a lot of NBA teams have nowadays, or being able to play next to another really good guard. And I think that's the one area for Smith where adding a few pounds of muscle before he gets to the NBA is going to be really important. Like If, if he can play next to another backcourt guy, I think that opens up a lot of versatility for the different types of lineups that a team can throw out with him. Yeah. For, for me, it's just like defensive awareness and like yeah. playing well within that scheme. Uh, one thing I've been kind of tracking since Nick Smith has come back has been Arkansas's defense uh, with Nick Smith on the court. They're giving up 96.7 points per 100 possessions. So like not a bad number necessarily, but when he's off the court, they're giving up 87.8 points per 100 possessions and I I would just like to see him maybe be a little bit more aware and look strength is part of this right like strength is undeniably a thing here where uh it will allow him to defend better on the ball but I feel like he gets caught a little bit off the ball 
more often than what I'd like to see. Uh, he's a smart player. Like you see it offensively. Like he has a great sense for when to play off the ball, how to cut, how to get open. I, I think that like he has a good sense of space, good sense of like spacing on the court, good sense of how to blow up plays, what offensive players are trying to do. It should translate at some point defensively, but he hasn't been very good there so far. So he needs to be better defensively than what we've seen at this point, I think. Yep, I agree. And again, that's a similar answer from us where the the two different variations that we give both reinforce each other. Strength and defense are going to go hand in hand, particularly at the next level if he wants to make an impact earlier in his pro career. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see where it, where it lands. But like Arkansas is every bit of upside to go to the Final Four this year, just because they have Anthony Black and Nick Smith. Like you have maybe the best backcourt combination in college basketball. These yeah. two are absolute stars, and they should play well off of each other because they both can put the ball on the floor. They both can really attack. They put so much pressure on the defense, and then on top of it. Anthony Black's shooting might be okay. Like everything I've seen from Arkansas, even without Trevon Brazil, has been very positive since they've gotten Nick Smith back. Like they just beat Bradley like pretty easily. And Nick Smith only played 20 in that game and only had like five points. But like Jordan Walsh got going in that game. Like they're, they're able to play small, they're able to play bigger. It's just a really, really good team. Yep. And shout out to Ricky Jedi Council there as well. Another guard yeah. who puts a ton of pressure on the rim. Like he's just a contortionist of a finisher, a pretty good athlete. Like those those three in the backcourt there for the Razorbacks are pretty dang scary. Well, and it was just like I remember watching the Oklahoma game, and I think I mentioned this on the pod a couple of weeks ago, where it was just like Okay, Ricky Council and Nick Smith combined for 47 points. Anthony Black had eight points and five rebounds. And I was like, oh, no, like Anthony Black was like the guy that was driving the show on offense. Like he was the one that was like collapsing the defense every single time and creating real opportunities for those guys. So this team is awesome. This team is so, so good. I I think that they are – I don't know if they're the – favorite to win the sec tennessee is very good defensively but i would probably have them them in tennessee i think are the two favorites to win the sec like i i think that it'd go tennessee and arkansas and then probably kentucky and alabama next for me yeah yeah i i I do like bama just because they can get really really hot and they're a young enough team still gelling that i think the best version of them they've got the most potential to continue to improve between now and late february out of the teams that we're talking about i think yeah i agree so let's go to brandon miller next in terms of what his new year's resolution should be as a player brandon miller uh spins where are you at on this one sure i'll uh, i'll go first again here so you did a a twitter kind of thread or a few tweets about his performance as a screen navigator sam and yeah. somebody who's starting to really develop and show signs of creation as a pick and roll guy i'm really really intrigued by this part of miller i think we saw it more particularly this past weekend against Gonzaga. Like he got hot from three and had this monstrous stretch, but then they decided to just give him the ball in the middle third of the floor to either play through ball screens or isolation. And I want to see that get explored a lot more. I want to see the diversity of his handle and how he operates when he has a screen to help him get separation, be a combination of a scorer more on the interior and a playmaker for others because the, the shiftiness and the small flashes that we've seen have really, really caught my eye. Where if they go hand in hand with being a six foot nine knockdown three point shooter and tough bucket in the mid range area, like we're talking about a really special offensive prospect. Yeah. And mine kind of goes hand in hand with yours. It's like just footwork at the end of the day. Like I don't think he gets the most out of his athleticism. We've talked about this on the show before, but like, his footwork is just very bad on drives. I think like it's, 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 this is something that like technically you can work on like during the season and like you can work on it even more after the season. He just really needs to get his footwork down. I don't think he plays without balance. I don't think he plays without like explosiveness, all that, but like he doesn't get the most out of his explosiveness. I feel like when he's in the half court, despite the fact that Alabama has a really well-spaced half court setting because of what Nate Oates runs because of that offensive scheme. So 
yeah, Brandon can really like he is great at like stringing out bigs and like making sure that he finds the mismatch and is good at getting it. It's just that, man, I, I just want to see him be able to drive and maybe extend his strides out. He has long legs to where he should be able to like take advantage of those situations. I don't really love the way that like he Euro steps all that often. Yeah, like I don't, yep. it, he just misses things. It, like he's, he's missing that footwork element to me every time I watch him. Yeah, and there's an element of if your footwork is good and your handle's tight enough, you can change paces and play from slow to fast and fast to slow. Yeah. And, and I think right now he plays a little bit slow and too deliberate, which is where he goes like deliberately off screens, takes space, has a good survey dribble, but then he doesn't necessarily accelerate well enough to where he can be coordinated as a finisher, which is why he's so reliant on the Euro step a lot of times because it's that similar pace and it's more about, you know, getting ground coverage than it is about just being explosive to a spot. Yeah. I think that's dead on man. Like he has so much potential, I think to be able to do that. Like he has a lot of upside to be able to be a real driver and like a real threat as a scorer inside the arc. The thing is though, that so far this season, and I seem to have lost my Brandon Miller stats page that was in front of me, uh, so far this season, Brandon Miller is shooting just 37% from two point range. And like he's six foot nine. That's like unacceptable on some level. Right. And it's not because he's not an athlete. It's because his footwork is just not polished enough yet. This is something that is immensely fixable, I think. Uh, and it yep. gives him real potential long term. And I think like he could fix it during the season and like improve it from beginning of season to end of season. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Miller has all sorts of upside. I'm still very yeah, in on Brandon Miller. Me too. Well, let me ask you this, Sam, about the footwork and, and that stuff. How much do you think adding more strength to his frame? Because I think he's really thin, particularly at, yeah. at, from the waist down. Like, How much do you think that solves some of these problems? Yeah, I think it does because I think that often he can kind of get like pushed a little bit and like his footwork – you know, obviously, if you get bumped, like a lot of the time, if you don't have that like core strength, your footwork can suffer, right? Especially if you're like kind of predetermining what you're trying to do, which I think he does a little bit more often than what you'd like to see, like negative to turnover ratio. Not not a selfish player by any stretch. He just goes in with a plan. So I I think that I would like to see him get stronger, certainly. I think that would help his footwork. But even just like technically, I think he takes like little chop steps where like he loses an advantage yes. from time to time. Yep. Um, there's just a lot there that he needs to fix, I think. But like when you can shoot like this, when you have some versatility defensively, when you like have the ability to string out guys and ball screens and knock, sh- knock down shots off of pull ups and yep. all this stuff, like you have an immense amount of upside. I, I think that yep. like that's where I just keep looking at it with Brandon. If if I'm his coach or his trainer in the off season, I'm just having him play a ton of like two v two, three v three on the hip, where he starts with the mm. ball on the wing and a defender right on his top hip, and he's got to sustain that advantage and play in a straight line to the basket as quickly as he can. And you have weak side defenders and players around him to you know help at the rim or, or rotate and try to read off of him. So he's got to find not just the ability to get past his man, but quickly read those defenders and know whether he's going to finish or pass it. Yeah. I love that idea. I think that's really, really good. Okay. Next up staying in the SEC case and Wallace number nine case and Wallace. What is your new year's resolution for case and Wallace. So I'm actually uh, Sam here. I'm going to be a bad guest and I'm going to take a page out of the Michael Scott negotiating tactic book. And I'm going to decline to speak first. <laughs> yeah for me it's shiftiness and like finding yeah. more like out of the handle right like he really he's not the most explosive player but he has very real physical strength that i think has a chance to translate really really well once he gets into the paint i think he just needs more off the bounce immediately to be able to break down that defender at the first level right forget getting all the way to the third level forget getting all the way to the second level right now he just needs to be able to get by a guy immediately. And right now, I think that he doesn't quite have enough to be able to do that consistently. Part of this too is like, 
Kentucky doesn't run ball screens all that often right, for him. Right. He doesn't really get a chance to like get into that second level and showcase that strength where like he can keep a guy on his hip at a really, really high level and like hit a little push shot or like stop, sidestep, hit a jumper. Although I do think he also needs to improve some of his rhythm as a pull-up shooter. So I look at what Kaysom Wallace's potential to be offensively. I think it is okay. Like I think he can be like a 16 point a game guy in the NBA, something like that, which when you combine it with the defense is going to be extremely high level. I like the passing. I love the way he processes. I love the way he moves without the ball. He just needs that ability to break down that defender at the first level. And he's not going to do it like with a lightning quick first step. I think his first step's probably a little bit better than what he's shown so far at Kentucky because the court is so condensed. But like, I think that he's going to need a little bit more shake off the bounce. Uh, and I think that he has enough control over the ball. Like he's not out here like dribbling loosely with the no. ball. It's more like creativity based, I think, in being able to like execute high level, you know, stringing together multiple moves at once kind of deal. I've always thought he's very square and boxy of an athlete. Uh, and that's, a that's, that's a, a, an area that he's got to loosen up his hips a little bit more. Like he, he, ha- he's got the ability to do it. We see it on the defensive end where he can really contort himself around screens and through tight spaces. He just doesn't do it a lot with the ball in his hands. Um, you know, related to that, I, I want to see pick and roll growth for him. Come on, coach Cal, please give him a few more, <laughs> few more ball screen reps. Like, we don't need to see the severe Wheeler Oscar Sheboy show. We, we can get a little bit more case and Wallace operating more as the one surround him with some shooting. I think it might be best for the team, but it's definitely going to unlock a lot for case just so that we as evaluators can know. And so that he can continue to explore how he can be a second side pick and roll creator at, at the very least. Doesn't have to be the primary walk it down, spread pick and roll possession after possession, but Put him in more handoffs and ball screens where he's got a roller, both on an empty side and with a corner filled. Allow him to, to make those reads and decisions. Find actions that can get him into the paint with a little bit more of an advantage because he is so square and boxy. Uh, again, the two things we're saying are very, very related, but I think for Kaysen, it's as much about the circumstances that he's currently playing in changing to meet what he can do well or, or maybe do better as much as improvements that he can make between now and June. Speaking of John Calipari tweaks, what would you do here uh, if you were Cal? Because they they need to fix this offense. Like anytime they've played anyone remotely reasonable, uh, the offensive has struggled. They had 77 points and 84 possessions against Michigan State. 72 points and 76 possessions against Gonzaga, only 73 points and 71 possessions against a Michigan defense that is currently 92nd nationally. Uh, and then against UCLA, it was a dumpster fire. Like it was unwatchable and unmade, unmitigated disaster. Uh, 53 points in 67 possessions there. Uh, what would your tweaks be if you're Kentucky is it really just getting severe Wheeler off the court and letting case and rock like how would you handle this I think that's part of it um look if if you're coach Cal and you're really intent on trying to keep the best players that you have on the court and making it work in that regard you know I've seen this is an outside the box answer and it's more of a like quick band-aid to put on something in the middle of the season but we've seen Tony Bennett in Virginia kind of shift from stalled out offenses to this ball screen motion attack where you yeah. have enough enough handlers, two big men that can roll to the rim. I think that Kentucky's personnel kind of line up in some regard to be able yeah, to add just that. completely change the scheme, right? Yeah, why not? <laughs> but it's 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 an easy enough offense to try to install yeah. and put in in the middle yeah. of the season where you've got again enough bigs that are going to maintain enough rolling power to attract defenses and suck them into the lane that helps create the spacing in that regard. You can high low with some different guys so that Shibway, when he rolls kind of seals and stays closer to the lane, you can utilize your shooters and and guys really well off of different counters that that you can run to it. So I I think that's one again, small, quick fix band aid that you can kind of throw on it there. 
But Calipari has shown time and time again, like that's not what he's going to do. He's going to keep running his offense and his sets. And and if that's going to be the case, then the tweak probably has to be changing your rotation a little bit more, committing towards not having Wheeler and Chibwe playing together for as long stretches as they have and putting a lot more spacing on the floor with more wing shooters. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up the idea of wing shooters. Uh, and, and this guy is like not like an immense shooter or anything. I think they should play Adu Tiero. Love it. That's what yes, yes. Um, there have been some questions asked of Cal, and he said that Tiero looks good every time I play him, but he hasn't been awesome in practice, and now he's starting to pick it up a little bit in practice. Play him. Every time he's been out there, he's been good. He's been effective. Uh, he's been valuable. This goes back to the summer as well. He's yep. the guy that like popped for Kentucky, I thought. Yep. I would play Adu Tiero. Uh, I would give it a shot and see what happens. And the other thing about Tiero is Tiero like, grew up playing point. Like He can yes. handle the ball a little bit. Like You don't need to have Severe out there as much. Like If it's, if it's Antonio Reeves and C.J. Frederick and Kaysen and Jacob Toppin and Oscar Shibwe – I understand why you feel like you need a second ball handler out there. Um, and I'm not saying Adutero is going to be like your high level second side creator either. But what I would do is I would try rotations basically where like I would just swap Frederick and Reeves for one another every single time and just like play them 40 minutes a night because you need shooting out there. And regardless of how they're shooting, they get guarded as shooters. Yep. Like it, it just helps the spacing yes. at the end of the day. I would play Kaysen at point with one of those two. I would play Chris Livingston for Toppin at this point. I've been a little bit resistant of that. Uh, and I still have like my concerns about whether or not Chris Livingston is actually going to get guarded as a shooter, but he has made six of 14 from three at this point this year. And maybe that continues and teams feel like they have to guard him. So you play Chris Livingston, 28 minutes a night, Jacob Toppin, maybe like 15 minutes a night or something. Um, you play Shibwe as much as you have to. That's, you know, Shibwe, your Livingston Toppin combo, your CJ Frederick and um, Antonio Reeves combo. And then you play Kaysen a ton of minutes. And then you play severe like 15 minutes a night just for a change of pace. You play Adu Tierro like hopefully 20 minutes a night and give it a shot. I'm not saying you start him and go absolutely nuts, but like between the amount of time that you're getting where severe is on the court and you're probably playing case in 35 minutes, like you can make that work from a rotational standpoint. I think basically less top in more Livingston, less severe Wheeler, a bit more Adu Tierro, um, in the rotation and then kind of make it work that way with uh, Reeves and Frederick as your like floor spacers case and Wallace, one of those two, hopefully Tierro knocks down shots. Hopefully Livingston knocks down shots. That gives you four guys who can at least shoot or dribble around Oscar that theoretically gives you a chance to at least compete. I love it. I love Adu Tierro. I love him as a longer term NBA prospect. Like, I, do I just, I'm really bought into guys like this is my archetype that just makes me swoon. The, the guys who go undergo those late growth spurts, point guards at high school and lower levels who all of a sudden get much larger, take a year or two to fill out into their body, figure out, you know, what to do spatially now that they're three or four inches bigger and longer. And Tierra, I mean, the pride of Quaker Valley High School. Shout out Coach Mastroianni and uh, Western Pennsylvania there. Uh, he's, a, he's a QV guy. But uh, Tierra's got a, a really, really high ceiling. I'm intrigued by him. Yeah, I really like him as well. Um, really, really impressed with what I've seen from him. Okay, last guy here is Gigi Jackson. Oh, Gigi. Oh, boy. <laughs> um. This is a tough one, right? In terms of what Gigi Jackson's New Year's resolution should be. Because there are a lot of holes and there are a lot of like really exciting things that he brings to the table as a shot creator, shot maker, um, everything in that regard. 
I'll pick one of them. You pick the other. That works well. I would like to see more defensive awareness yeah. from him. Uh, I, he just... He's 17. Yeah, yeah, he might be 18 now. Might have just turned 18, right? And he's so young in his basketball development. But I thought he was actually pretty active defensively at lower levels. And we haven't quite seen that level of activity yet, other than if he feels like he can chase a block or try and jump a passing lane. I think that he just needs to be a little bit more aware in ball screen coverages. Uh, I think that he just like ends up stuck in no man's land way too often in ball screen coverages right now. And it really, really hinders what South Carolina wants to do defensively. Uh, It's yeah. South Carolina right now is 153rd defensively. Uh, They give up 37% from three, which is a very high number. They don't really force turnovers. It just feels like teams can kind of do whatever they want to do against South Carolina at the moment. Um, It's the possession by possession defense of Gigi Jackson. Like he makes some action plays here and there, but yeah, he just gets kind of like he gets kind of lost a little bit. It feels like, and like gets end up he gets stuck in places. Yeah. So and, and, I'd like to see that improvement. What have you thought of Gigi Jackson's <clears throat> defense so far? Adam? Oh, I think it's been not very good at all. Um, and the biggest, you know, biggest thing, even though he'll make a positive play here or there, he gives it right back by being out of position, by not understanding when it's his time to hedge, not communicating yeah. well enough, and there's a lot of mix-ups that he seems to be involved in. That's one area that, yes, he's young, but he's going to play an important role in an NBA defense just based on the position that he plays on the floor. A bigger wing, a bigger four. He's going to have to guard some really good scorers. He's going to be involved in quick-hitting actions, whether it's pick-and-rolls and handoffs. Ghost screens are going to really give him challenges. Yeah, they are. There's just... There's a lot of quick hitting things that he's going to have to find a way to communicate through that he's not doing right now. And his answer when those things happen is to stop. And that's always concerning as a coach to, like you say, get stuck in the mud, like stand where he is, not provide that help on the rim and kind of say like, where were you? What should I have been doing? You've got to have the motor and energy to play through that, particularly with his athleticism, Sam. Like He's got to be able to tap into that and use that. If he doesn't know what's going on and have the great IQ or polish yet, just fly around and try to make plays happen. He doesn't do that enough. Yeah, I agree. Okay, uh, your New Year's resolution for Gigi Jackson. Yeah, it's to learn how to pass the damn ball. Um, it's, It's been rough, man. Like seven assists through 11 games, one to four assist to turnover ratio look he's punching above his weight class as a teenager playing in the sec on a south carolina team that doesn't have a lot of self-creation or rim pressure outside of him and we've seen their offense really go stagnant and struggle for long stretches of time but his answer to that has been give me the ball and let me create a fancy step back jumper or take a deep three one-on-one let me try to bully my way to the rim and not make a play for somebody else. And if he's going to continue to put himself out there as a shot-making prospect, a bigger wing who can be a scorer, you can't play that role in the NBA unless you're at least a willing passer and have the ability to make plays when defenses collapse upon you. We're going to see him put in a lot of stressful situations for the second half of the season in SEC play where coaches are smart enough to collapse on him, to send double teams and say, all right, Gregory, it's time to be a passer. It's time to see if you can create for somebody else. And how he responds in those moments and how proactive he is to getting the ball out quickly when those traps come. Or if he's mismatched posting on the inside, making a quick read to somebody else and cutters because there has to be movement around him. Otherwise, their offense is going to go too stagnant. Can he do that proactively? Or is he just going to wait until he's double teamed and has to make a jump pass and, and just hope he finds an open guy out there somewhere? I'm worried about the passing field. What have you thought of South Carolina just like letting him go out there and rock? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's apparent. It's definitely what they're doing. I think that there's, yeah. there's definitely an, an element of this that is, you know, 
kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? You've got to get the most out of the top recruit that the school's probably ever had and might have under Lamont Paris. He's got to be able to enable that guy to play to the best of his ability in areas but, but where like, he's comfortable. I, I think that like what he's trying to do is like make it so that like he gets more of these guys, right? Yes. He's like, yes. I think this is all a message saying like, hey, look, Gigi's averaging 17 points right now as a 17-year-old freshman. Come in. You might yes. be more polished than him, and I'm going to let you go. And I think he's going to be there four years if he keeps doing it. Yeah, I think <laughs> like, the, the challenge with that strategy is it's really – you've got to be – It's hard able, to win in the SEC with 18-year-olds. It is. It very much is. And that makes you a really different type of threat on the transfer portal recruiting trail because it's so dependent on who that top guy is that you get and how the pieces are going to mesh around him. Mm-hmm. It's There are a lot of potential downsides to it, but there are a ton of potential upsides to it if you can continue to get top guys to come there. Well, and like he's, he's, letting, he's letting Gigi go, but like they play so slow. They do. But they play slow without like running intricate offense either. Like you watch Virginia. Virginia plays slow, methodical. <laughs> they are constantly running like off ball actions, trying to get free. Right. Um, South Carolina, like doesn't really do that. They just play slow and it's hard to have efficient offense when you're playing slow and you're not really like running a ton. Like, like St. Mary's is running like offense, like crazy every time down the court and like letting the clock run. Like another team that I really like watching is North Texas. Like I think Grant McCasland is really good. Like, they run offense every time down and like, yeah, they play slow in order to play good defense, but like they're trying to get guys free every time Bellerman plays super slow, but you know what? Their offense is like pretty good. Um, Yeah. It's just like, like Villanova's played slow for a long time. They run good offense this year, a little bit less so, but like, I, I don't, I don't know, man. It's, um, I don't think this is a sustainable strategy for success is what I would say. Um, Yeah. If you're a young player who's not incredibly polished with a high feel, then the hardest thing to do as a scorer is go out and try to attack a set defense loaded up to you possession after possession. And while we can look at the numbers and the strategy of recruitment, like how much of an actual position to succeed is Gigi Jackson being put into because he doesn't have other scorers, other creators around him, not a ton of movement, that slow, deliberate pace. It's great to say, Hey, we're letting these guys come in and rock. It's another to say, we're putting them in positions to be successful and win basketball games. And like, it's not like they have terrible players. Like Hayden Brown is not a bad player. Really good. Chico Chico Carter is like fine. He's a great shooter, right? Like they don't have enough depth, I I would argue. Like they don't have enough guys, but they have guys that like you can theoretically like run some offense for. Like you should be able to run like all sorts of like crazy post duck-ins for Hayden Brown. Brown. Is like a big physical six foot five, like point forward kind of guy. Um, And they do it from time to time, but. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like they could do it more like Hayden Brown last year. Um, what did he, a- he averaged like a billion points a game last year. It was really, if cool. I remember correctly. Well, and yeah. and I, I expected to see more high, low stuff with the two of them where one guy's posting up and maybe has a mismatch and, and the other, because Hayden's pretty skilled around the elbows and the top of the gate. Like I yeah. just, I expected to see a little bit more of that stuff where for Gigi, it seems to be just very ball centric for him right now. No, I agree. No, I mean, look, if he's going to do this, like, and just let these like younger guys rock or like go out and try and get like a transfer portal guy and let him be like the main character on the offense. Right. He needs to do it with like shooters around constantly. Like Hayden Brown, good as he is, like, I think is like an interesting, like point forward type, um, who can like duck in into the post and like make some plays. He's 26% three point shooter. Jacoby white or Jacoby Wright is shooting 29% from three did not shoot well from three last year. Michi Johnson has just like never really been a shooter, you know? So like if you're going to do this, okay. You got to go out and get the shooters that are going to allow for guys like Gigi Jackson to play well. 
I agree with you. I don't know if he's being put in the best position right now in terms of his efficiency and everything, despite the fact that he's getting a lot of reps, certainly playing on the ball, which could be good for his development. Or like if he ends up being a little bit not, if he ends up not being quite good enough to get these reps uh, on the ball in the NBA could actually hinder his development as an off ball player. So there's a lot to consider, I think in these circumstances and the Gigi Jackson evaluation remains maybe the most confident or most uh, complicated one across college basketball right now. And, and I'm going to always do what I try to do, which is finish on the positive note there and being the eternal optimist that I am. I did not expect to see this level of confidence as a shooter from Gigi yeah. coming into the season where he's drilling deep behind the college three point line where he's hitting yeah one dribble step backs with like real smoothness. He, he looks like he could translate into that type of player that, that can play with the ball in his hands at the next level. Totally. Definitely did not see that coming. I'm incredibly intrigued by the upside. I think it speaks to why we're having a conversation about him as one of the potentially 10 best prospects in this draft class. Like we're talking about the elite elite guys here and Gigi's name is coming up. So, while there are a lot of things to clean up, while we may not love the way he's being utilized on a possession-by-possession possession basis, the upside has already been so tantalizing that, you know what, maybe this entire strategy and plan, it's working. I think that if the goal is to get GG drafted high, but like here's the thing. So like if he didn't come in and shoot this well, uh, they were still probably going to do this. And think about how poorly it would have gone. Yeah. So shout out to Gigi for going out and improving his shot, going out and improving his ability to like play half court offense and create his own shot as a half court offensive creator. But like, yeah, sustainability is something that I try and consider a lot of. Um, and I, I'm just not sure I'm seeing it uh, as much as I, I, yeah. I'm like, look, I, I was the one that pushed for us to talk about Gigi in this conversation because I think he is like a lottery talent, yeah. even though he's struggled as much as he has in certain aspects of the game. But he's so young, like he's so he is 17, just turned 18, if I remember correctly. He's so young. He skipped his senior year, which is valuable developmental time. Like I am a big, big fan of Gigi Jackson. It's just that I think that it's uh, it's a complicated evaluation. It's certainly complicated, uh, but again, he's – man, am I intrigued by the upside and the potential there as a shot maker. It's just night and day from what I thought we'd see. Totally agree. Adam, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Coming into the new year. Yeah, coming into the new year. My New Year's resolution is to sleep every once in a while. Uh, but <laughs> you can you can find me in any of my work on my Twitter page at the Boxing One underscore on YouTube. My name is Adam Spinella. There, so please subscribe to the Substack, theboxingone.substack.com. Really excited for a bunch of new ideas and things that we're trying to, to trot out here in the new year. But as always, Sam, this has been a, a pleasure of mine. And as I look back at 2022 i will always be grateful for the opportunity you've given me to join you here on the game theory pod and just continue to to talk hoops with somebody who, who has as much fun doing this as i do i really enjoy it adam i'm so glad that you're here this has been the game theory podcast please remember rate review subscribe do everything you can to support the show uh go follow us on apple podcasts go subscribe on spotify go subscribe to the youtube channel game theory podcast with sam vicini over on youtube we will be back uh at some point this weekend uh not sure totally when i'll probably make schindler come on and break down all of the nba stuff that we've missed uh in the week that we haven't really recorded about the nba due to the holiday so keep it locked here until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.